Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. In each episode, talking with thought leaders and executives, PurposeWorks founder Thomas Bertels explores what it takes to make work more productive, valuable, impactful, and meaningful. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. So my guest today is Bjarte Borgsnes. Um, Bjarte is a well-known expert on the Beyond Budgeting topic. He's a former executive with Statoil and Borealis, and for the last uh, couple of years has been uh, teaching and coaching and advising companies on, on the Beyond Budgeting framework. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Beyond budgeting, for our listeners, give us like a quick definition of, of what that is, because it obviously goes beyond budgeting, uh, as the name implies. What are some of the principles? What's the basic idea behind it? Uh, beyond budgeting is actually a somewhat misleading name, because it's basically about business agility. And um, it is about challenging the two main assumptions behind traditional management. Uh, number one, that the future is predictable and planable. And uh, number two, that you can't trust people. And none of those are true. And we are heavily challenging those uh, assumptions. So that is basically uh, beyond budgeting in a, in a, in, in a nutshell. Uh, the term business agility didn't exist when um, Beyond Budgeting came around in the late 90s. So um, if you have a better name, please let us know. But it, it has to be much better, not just a little bit. You wrote a book about it, right, which is now in a second edition. I know you're also working on a, on a new book uh, that's coming out soon. But in that book, you describe like, your own journey into that topic. Help us understand how did you first get into this, this, this framework and these ideas. And- Douglas Adams, he once said that, I might not have gone where I intended to go, but I think I ended up where I needed to be. And uh, that is uh, my uh, life in a nutshell, because uh, my career after graduating from business school in the early 80s was actually head of the corporate budget department in Statoil, which is uh, now called Equinor, one of Scandinavia's largest uh, companies. Uh, So I've been heading up more budgeting rounds than I want to be reminded about in that job in many other finance manager jobs in different places in in Europe. So, uh, and and I was doing this stuff for 10 years uh, before in the mid-90s, I was heading up the finance function in a petrochemicals company called Borealis, partly owned by Statoil, uh, Europe's largest at the time. And uh, through some coincidences, we got a chance to kick out the budget if we could find an alternative, and we did. This was before there was anything called Beyond Budgeting. And at the time, uh, it was quite budget-focused as such on the on the specific budget problems. But my job after heading up finance in this company and, and implementing the, um, this stuff um, was human resources. I moved to HR uh, for heading, heading up HR for four years, and that was a wake-up call for me when it comes to the people side of beyond uh, budgeting. Uh, so um, uh, when I returned to I returned to to Statoil um, some years later, I started to work as corporate controller for our international business. But I had a hobby, <laughs> and that was to pester my colleagues with the stupidity of the budgeting and the traditional management that the company was running. And um, 
uh, in the end, we 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 all agreed, and uh, we went to the executive committee in 2005, and um, proposed not just to kick out the budget because now this had become broader. Uh, now this was about changing how we were leading and managing. So we proposed the process called Ambition to Action, heavily built on beyond budgeting, and we got a yes. So since then, I have been working uh, full-time on this stuff. Um, and I have actually all the time, also in the Borealis um, years, uh, been working outside uh, or externally, uh, speaking, doing workshops. And um, last year, I took a difficult decision. I took early retirement from, from Equinor, a great company. So now um, I can devote my time uh, fully to beyond budgeting through boxness uh, advisory. So people are going to obviously ask if you get rid of budgets. I don't think you can find a single executive that, that would disagree with you. A lot of effort goes into it and very little return seems to come out of it. So I think everybody understands like the challenges, but, but what do you replace it with? I mean, what, what, takes its, what, what takes its place? How do managers get the control that they're, that they're craving? Beyond budgeting has 12 principles. Uh, six are on leadership and six are on management processes. And a key uh, message in Beyond Budgeting is that there has to be coherence between what is said and preached on leadership in organizations and what is done and practiced through management processes. And too often, sadly, you don't have that coherence. There are poisonous gaps between what is said and what is done. Uh, oh, yes, we trust you so much. We would be nothing without you, and you're so great. And, and uh, But, of course, we need detailed travel budgets. Are you crazy? I mean, this hypocrisy is something that people note. And uh, nice words on, and intentions often on leadership become hollow because management processes has a different message. So coherence is uh, is key in beyond budgeting, coherence between, again, leadership principles, management processes, coherence also between management processes, all the way from finance stuff like uh, target setting, forecasting resource allocation, into HR stuff like uh, performance evaluation and rewards. It has to hang together. And last but not least, you need a coherence with the external world and your management model, because your management model must be dynamic, flexible, um, adaptive enough to cope with whatever is happening uh, out there. So coherence uh, kind of saturates these uh, these uh, principles. But the question you ask, how do you get started? We get, of course, that a lot because some people, uh, when they look at these principles, they find it uh, kind of yeah, a bit scary, quite big stuff. And, uh, and it, it is big stuff. But there is a simple way to get started that later can take you into this uh, bigger discussion. It goes back to asking a very simple but important question. Why do we budget? And that question has more than one answer. There are actually three different reasons why companies make budgets. Companies make budgets in order to set targets, financial targets, sales targets, production targets. At the same time, these budgets shall provide a kind of forecast of what next year can look like in terms of profitability and cash flow. And last but not least, the budget is a resource allocation mechanism. We are handing out bags of money to the organization on, on, on operating costs and on investments. And it might seem very efficient to solve all three in one process and one set of numbers, but that is also the problem. 
Because what happens when we move into a budget process and upstairs finance is asking for, um, they want to understand next year's uh, profit and uh, they start on the revenue side asking responsible people here, what's your best number for next year? But everybody knows that what I'm, what I'm sending upstairs now will come back to me as a target for next year, maybe with a bonus attached. And we all know that that insight often does something to the level of numbers submitted. Moving to the cost side, uh, operational cost investments, um, the same people, other people are asked, what are your best numbers for next year? But everybody knows that this is my only shot, my only opportunity to access resources for next year. And some might also remember that 20% cut on on those initial numbers from last year. And that memory and that insight might, as we all know, also do something with with the level of numbers uh, submitted. And uh, I can see you're smiling, Thomas, and most people do (laughs) when when we talk about this. But this is actually, um, it's actually not fun. It's actually a serious problem, not just because it destroys the quality of numbers, but even more because it stimulates behaviors that I would call at least borderline unethical. The lowballing, the gaming, the sandbagging, the resource hoarding, and, and, and so on and so on. That's not the kind of behaviors we would like to see between colleagues. At the same time, I'm not blaming anyone for behaving like this, because people just respond to the system we have designed for them to operate within. So if you want to change people's behaviors, then it is about changing and fixing systems. Not, not people. The good news here is that there is a simple solution. We can still do these three things, target setting, forecasting, resource allocation, but they should be done in three different and separate processes because they are different things. A target is an aspiration. It's what we want to happen. While a forecast is an expectation. It's what we think will happen, whether we like what we see or not. And resource allocation is about optimizing, optimization of, of, of what is often scarce uh, uh, resources. And because we have separated these into three pro- processes, we can now start to improve each one in ways impossible when it was all bundled in one set of numbers and one process. So now we can have great discussions about how to set better targets that really inspire and motivate people and where you get away with all the gaming. Now we can work on getting the politics out of forecasting. And last but not least, we can we can design uh, much better, more intelligent ways of managing cost than what budgeting uh, provides us, traditional budgeting. And we can also organize each of these processes on a rhythm that better reflects not just the individual process and purpose, but also the kind of business we are in. So we can go from a a calendar-driven rhythm to a more business and event-driven rhythm. And I've been helping uh, between 30 and 40 companies um, all over the world getting started. With the majority, this is where we started out. But this is just a start because when you start, when you have these improvement discussions, then you are kind of entering the bigger beyond budgeting discussions in an organic and innocent way. Target setting, what really motivates people? Resource allocation, do we need detailed travel budgets if we say we trust people? And so on and so on. So it is a, a simple, tested, um, practical way of getting started into much, much uh, bigger discussions. And once you start on these discussions, you are on the journey. And this is a journey. It is not a project. 
And everybody on this journey get braver along the way. One example, the last discussion we had in Equinor just before I left, after sp- having spent many years setting better targets, much better targets, then we started the discussion, do we need all these targets? And if in case you're wondering about the answer, the answer is no. I mean, some of the best beyond budgeting companies, they don't operate with targets. They have found other ways of creating direction and inspiration. They have found other ways of evaluating performance. So again, a journey, not a project. What struck me as I was um, I was reading rereading your book is, uh, you know, a lot of the examples come from Scandinavia. Companies like Handelsbanken has been well known for having uh, abandoned a lot of these traditional management processes beyond budgets. I guess one of the underlying ideas is it, it has to do with the worldview, right? We look at McGregor's right, theory X, theory Y, right? Are people right, stupid and need to be forced to work or, or can we trust people and the vast majority of people want to make a, right, are intrinsically motivated. Uh, do you think there is the, it has something to do with, with how managers in, in your part of the world in generally look at people, uh, the workforce, or do you have other reasons why, why, why there's such a hotbed of activity uh, around beyond budgeting? I think there is some some tailwind in uh, the the Nordic or Scandinavian uh, culture uh, with uh, low power distance uh, and uh, a lot of trust in in in, in employees, uh, and it's been like that for for a long time. And yes, there are cultural differences, but we shouldn't make them a showstopper. Uh, if you take Equinor, that operates globally, uh, it's the same model that applies all over the world. Equinor recruits from its competitors mainly, and people want to work for companies like this. Um, and that pool of different thinking Americans has so far been more than big enough for, for, for Equinor to recruit. If you want the full potential out of Beyond Budgeting, you need to address also the leadership side. And that is why we always recommend finance to join forces with human resources in implementing Beyond Budgeting. What we advocate on around leadership in Beyond Budgeting is not unique as such. I mean, we talk about, like many others, about purpose, values, um, autonomy, transparency, and so on. Um, And many others do the same. But it doesn't help, again, to have these theory Y leadership intentions if you have theory X management processes. That is where many of these uh, great models on, on people and leadership out there, what they are missing is what does this, what should this mean for the, our management processes? And this is where Beyond Budgeting are providing answers, changing management processes so that they actually reflect what we say and hopefully mean about uh, people. So we are back to this coherence between what is said and what is done. Lean, agile, sociocracy, holocracy, no, none of them, they kind of avoid it. It's the elephant in the room, right? But if you don't address that elephant, uh, you will never get a true transformation. I'm a big fan of agile, but I also would argue that maybe the main reason for the initial success of what I call original agile uh, has to do with its birthplace in software development. It was about revolutionizing software development and how teams were working. And it did wonders. And in big organizations, what do you think executives uh, said? Well, what they saw was kind of uh, better projects, um, uh, better outcomes, more happy people. Who can be against that? Wonderful. I love agile. Uh, then, Then agile started to scale. And then it started to have implications for executive beliefs and behaviors. 
and then it wasn't that fun anymore. So I think that is one reason why scaling agile has has struggled. Beyond budgeting was born as an enterprise agility model, right? So it kind of fills many of the holes that that Agile has. Um, So that is why Agile and beyond budgeting is a beautiful fit. But no Agile transformation will succeed without beyond budgeting, I would argue. And that is why we are called into so many companies on their Agile transformation journeys quite late often because this is what they uh, uh, discover. I I remember not too long ago, talking to like a, a you know, senior vice president in the IT function in a very large, you know, healthcare company, and he says, "Yeah, we got this problem, right? We got these incubators in the business, and they're coming up with these great sprint ideas, and and then they go to corporate IT, and, and that's where these ideas die." And people say, "Take a number, right? And you got to wait till you get funded, and you know, if you had a good idea in August, right, you got to wait a year and a half to do anything on that." And I think that that definitely becomes a rate limiting factor. Just like continuous delivery is is, is key in 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 in, in agile um, it is uh, we apply exactly the same thinking when it comes to resource allocation because the annual budget is too big of a batch too many decisions um, too early and too high up so instead we recommend a more continuous and dynamic resource allocation when it comes to projects the concept should be that the bank is always open you can always ask for money for a project yes or no depends on two things how good is your project or do we have the and do we have the capacity as things looks today actually one of the the bigger ideas i took from this book was was actually this notion of performance management and how do we create incentives for people and, and what incentives are, are meaningful let me first say that the the label performance management that you mentioned i actually don't like like it i find it very negative right because what we actually are saying is that if we don't manage your performance there will be no performance beyond budgeting recommends uh, strongly uh, common bonus schemes uh, preferably dri- driven by how the company is doing versus uh, competition and we do not advocate uh, individual bonuses. And I'm personally very skeptical. And my problem with individual bonus starts with the word individual. Because how individual is really performance in today's knowledge organizations? Isn't there always somebody next to you or behind you uh, in what we might call individual delivery? Even the salesperson, which we all tend to think about as the, that lone ranger out there, uh, all individual, maybe that great sales today had something to do with great back-office service on that previous sale. If you look at the justification I hear for why there should be individual bonus, then there are two reasons that people talk about that are actually not connected. There is a market reason. You have to be competitive. And I buy that one. You have to be competitive, but there are many ways of, be, of being competitive. Uh, this Swedish bank, Handelsbanken, which is quite big in the UK, have no individual bonus. But they have no problem recruiting um, branch managers from competing UK uh, banks with fat bonus schemes, uh, because in totality, what they can offer, including the autonomy of uh, uh, that the branch managers have, um, and the collective bonus, I mean that makes them competitive. So other, there are many ways of, of, of um, being competitive. The other reason has to do with motivation. You know, the the I can I don't think I can think of any area where there is a bigger gap between what most research is telling us and what most businesses and organizations are practicing. It's simply unbelievable. Individual bonus, it can work if three conditions are in place, if there is little motivation in the job itself, if it's easy to count and measure, and if um, quantity is more important than quality. 
So for chasing rats and uh, picking fruit, yeah, it, it, it works. But again, moving into knowledge work, then we all know that things like mastery, uh, purpose, autonomy, belonging, and so on um, are much more powerful. And what do these things have in common? It's about leadership. It takes more leadership to motivate people through things like that compared to dangling a bang of bunny in front of people's noses and say, do this and get that. In many organizations, especially as you get to, to the senior leadership, that really starts to, to skew decision-making from what's the right thing to do for the organization and what's the right thing for me as the individual. And I think that that problem starts actually with the targets that these executives have, but you amplify it 10 times by adding bonus to those targets. But you, it's not enough to kind of remove bonus. You also need to think about uh, how, you, how, how you set the targets, what kind of targets you set. And I often say that, you know, beyond budgeting, to take a step back here, um, it is, you can actually boil it down to two things. It is about defining performance in the right way. And that has a lot to do with how you set targets. And then it is about creating the conditions for the organization to deliver towards that kind of performance. If you succeed on both, then you have cracked it. And, and you also create, I think, the degrees of freedom for individuals or for teams to take ownership. One thing I, I saw in the, the Ambition to Action framework is that really at the center, it's about how do we create freedom for individuals. Absolutely. For me, for me, that, that freedom is, is, a, is a very big part of, of, of what you do to enable the, the organization and people to, to deliver. I often use um, uh, traffic as a metaphor here when, when it comes to creating enabling um, uh, conditions, because um, in traffic, we typically find either traffic lights or roundabouts as a way to create good performance in traffic, a safe and good flow. And these are two very opposing views of, of managing in traffic, right? The traffic light, that's, that's traditional command and control. The manager in that situation is the, is the person who programmed that light. And he would not be uh, in the situation when you sit there waiting for, for the green light. And his information would not be entirely fresh um, as you sit there waiting. While in the roundabout, Decisions are made by drivers, people in the situation, and they use fresh real-time information to inform their uh, decisions. Transparency is key in, in, in uh, here. Not important in front of that light, as long as you can see the color of the light. But in the roundabout, you, you need transparency. You need to see and understand the entire uh, situation here. It's, it's a metaphor I've used for many years to explain what kind of shift in thinking we need here. The things you need to change in what you do in Beyond Budgeting is not rocket science. Um, but it doesn't help to change what you do unless you also change how you think. And that is the hard part. I think the other thing I took away from your book was you talk quite a bit about KPIs. One thing I see in a lot of organizations is that there's like no shortage of KPIs, but there's, there's so many that it's really hard to call any of them key anymore. Like how should companies think about measuring performance? I've spent many years searching for that perfect KPI. Uh, now I've given up because it doesn't exist. There can be good KPIs, combination of KPIs, but there is something we must never forget. The I in KPI stands for indicator. They are indicating that we are moving towards something, but they are seldom, maybe never telling the full truth. 
there is a reason they are not called KPTs, Key Performance Truth. They are called Key Performance Indicators. So we should talk about them as indicators and not KPIs, which we actually uh, is done in, in Ambition to Action. And that is why in any measurement, in any performance evaluation, an indicator can play a role, but it can't do the job alone. A lot of these things that people do is, they kind of know it that in the heart of hearts that the, probably 90% of it doesn't add any value whatsoever. But, you know, they keep doing it because I think it gives them some degree of confidence that at least you can defend your actions, right? You, you look at your KPIs, you say, look, everything is green. Right? I mean, Another elephant in the room here is the word control, because people think that um, they have control today and will lose control if they go beyond budgeting. If you go beyond budgeting, you will lose some control. But the controls you lose are the bad ones, the illusions of control. What you get more of are good controls. And one example is transparency, which can be a very effective control mechanism, a social control mechanism. There was this wonderful story from Roche, a large European pharmaceutical company, who did a very, they are, today they are on a beyond budgeting journey. But before they started out, they did a very interesting experiment on, on travel cost. In a pilot, they kicked out the travel budget, all travel rules and regulations, and replaced it with full transparency. So with a few exceptions, everybody could see everything. If you travel to where, did you fly, sleep, eat, cheaper, expensive? And guess what happened with travel cost in that pilot? Came down through a simple self-regulating control mechanism, right? This was about tearing our pages in, in the rules book instead of doing the opposite. At the same time, let me just add here that transparency is a very powerful mechanism, which means that it must be applied with wisdom. If it becomes naming and shaming, it doesn't work then it backfires. And we should also position transparency more from a learning perspective than from a control perspective. I mean, how can we learn from each other if everything is secret? And then you get this subtle control effect as, as a side effect in, in any case. You can't have, you can't have learning without uh, transparency. And uh, that learning is also one reason why we recommend to think in relative terms when you think about performance internally. So, let units compare themselves or help units to compare themselves on not just financial stuff, but uh, safety performance, uh, production regularity, whatever. You know, what you then want to achieve is that those struggling, coming out low in those comparisons, contact those who are performing better, asking, what are you guys doing that we obviously aren't? In order for this to happen, we need help from the reward system again. Because if there are individual bonuses, why should somebody performing well help somebody performing worse? They might one day threaten the number one position. And it, it is nicer to be number one than at the bottom. So that's why you need, uh, like again in Handelsbanken, no individual bonus. Their bonus, collective bonus is driven by how the company is performing versus uh, um, competition. And that stimulates everybody to help everybody. And I know that some people think that this is uh, some kind of blue-eyed, naive Scandinavian management thinking that doesn't work in the in the real world. But this is exactly what Handelsbanken does in the UK as well, which is quite different from, from the Nordic uh, region when it comes to culture. And it, it works beautiful. So it's again about learning and you need transparency. This is an example of how all the elements in a management model must kind of hang together, have the same underlying philosophy, which is so important in Beyond Budgeting, coherence.
A big part of it, I think, is, is like the mindset of the leader, how you look at people, what do you think that they're capable of. But I think a, another big factor is probably also the finance function. So how important is the CFO in, in this whole discussion? How important is it to get that organization on board? Well, of course, the CFO and the finance organization must be on board because, I mean, if not, it's it's simply impossible. But um, but but at the same time, this is not just a, as, as I said a finance issue. So the really important person to have on board is, of course, the CEO. The good news is that this often starts in the finance function, right? And 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 they kind of take it out and, and spread it um, in, in the organization. Some call this agile finance. I, I disagree because this is not about stand-up meetings in, in, in finance. It's about finance changing the management processes they impose on the entire organization um, in, in a, to, to something much, much uh, uh, better. So, um, but of course, I mean, the, the, the CFO is, uh, is, uh, is key and you need, you need both the CFO and the CEO on board. But we've seen examples of where that wasn't the case initially. One large European company we, we, we saw with a number of uh, daughter companies, it started in one of the daughter companies and it kind of spread upwards uh, from, from that one. So uh, all revolutions don't start at the top. But I think what is important here for this to happen is uh, psychological safety. Uh, because without that, I mean, look at, at myself, I'm not sure if there wasn't um, a high level of, 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 of this type of safety in, in, in both these companies, Borealis and, and, and Equinor, I'm not sure I would have kind of dared to propose uh, what we did, implement what we did. Uh, so that is also very important. How long does the journey take? How long will it take you at Borealis? It's impossible to answer. Again, because it is a journey. And it's often, you know, it can be a... It's often a revolution and an evolution at the same time. I mean, in in most companies, you see kind of big banks on uh, uh, on the management process side. Like in, in, in Equinor, we closed the budget column in SAP, <laughs> um, in the enterprise system, overnight. But what needs to happen in people's minds and hearts, of course, will never be a revolution. That will, it will and should take take time. Um and also, as I said, you get braver along the way. So I don't think any company can claim that they are finished. Uh, this is a journey where the kind of direction is clearer than the destination to the extent there is a destination. Do you have companies seen backslide? Companies that made big strides towards a budget-free world and then ended up going back to like the more traditional model? We have seen some, but I don't need even one hand to count them. Uh, very few go back once they've started. The ones who did go back, uh, if you look at the reasons, they're kind of two, two, two categories. One category was um, is about a significant change in top management at a very early part of the journey where the foundation is strong enough and you guys not understanding this. That has been the reason in some companies. The other reason is typically a flawed implementation not building a strong enough case for change, um, not getting enough people to understand the problems with uh, traditional management. Uh, you know, I talked about the um, these three purposes, target setting, forecasting, resource allocation. Some say that, okay, that's where I want to start. And of the three, uh, f- doing something with the forecasting process, introducing rolling forecasts, that might seem the easiest. So we are going to start with that one. But when I hear people 
thinking about this. My question is always, well, how do you then intend to solve the two other budget purposes, target setting and resource allocation? And some people say, oh, I will do that through the rolling forecast. And what are you then introducing? Rolling budgeting, right? Budgets four times a year, a lot of pissed off people, and you have solved very few problems. Other people say that uh, we will continue to have budgets for those two purposes, target setting, resource allocation. Well, if that is what you do, you have solved very few of the many budget problems by only introducing rolling forecasting. So this cannot be done kind of sequential. It has to be done in parallel. At the same time as you introduce rolling forecasting, you have to tell the organization, this is how we know we'll set targets in a new way. This is how we will allocate resources in a new way. It has to be done in parallel, not sequential. But again, uh, fortunately, not uh, many go back because uh, what they realize is that all the stuff that seems scary before you have started out is not scary once you have tried it out, or at least much less scary. Uh, that doesn't mean that everything worked perfectly from, from day one. And we advocate, uh, recommend organizations to design to 80% and jump. Don't think, I mean, think agile here. Think minimal viable product, get started, test out, adjust, and so on. And that is also what you need to do uh, to do here. And this is a, uh, an implementation philosophy that scares a lot of managers uh, and finance people. But they, they will have everything planned and sketched out, designed um, down to the last detail before they dare to jump. Um, doesn't work. One problem with finance people is that they have, you know, a lot of them have an accounting background. So what they have been, uh, their kind of role has been to describe the past through um, uh, accounting. And the past carry no uncertainty. So decimals and details and, and, and precision and so on, it, 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 it makes sense. And sometimes it's even required. But the moment you turn around and look forward, there is uncertainty. And then you leave need to leave behind this accounting mindset and uh, need to accept and even embrace uh, uncertainty and, and a VUCA environment and also, and, and many finance people find that difficult. I think it's a, a very interesting topic. I think it's, it's, it's definitely a missing ingredient of, for, for, for many companies as they try to become more agile, more flexible. But I can also see how many people are, are scared, or how many leaders are scared to even touch this. You can't do it like little bits and bumps, right? You really got to bite off enough of this. Um, and and it got to be grounded, I think, in some uh, leadership principles that puts like, humans at the center and empower them and drive decision-making down. So I think it goes way beyond changing sort of the mechanics of how the company operates. I think you've, you've laid out an excellent playbook with your book, Implementing Beyond Budgeting. And I'm looking forward to, to the new one. When does it come out? You know, the, the future is unpre unpredictable, but um, I'm, um, I'm, done, I'm done writing, so it's time for copy editing. It's, it's a book for people who don't have time to read books. It's a short book, uh, around 80 pages. And uh, my inspiration here is um, uh, the book called This is Lean. I've learned a lot since uh, 2016 on um, when the second edition came out, um, and um, I've also added on um, new chapters on, on. There's one on beyond budgeting and OKRs. Um, I'm discussing uh, psychological safety and, and of course, beyond budgeting and, and agile. And um, uh, but uh, I hope to reach. Uh, uh, 
you know, again, people who who don't have time to to uh, to read because. Um, those are the guys that we, 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 in the end, have to reach in some form or shape. And um, I'm, uh, and I'm also writing in the book. I mean, th- towards the end, that the the, um, the stuff that we have been talking about today, it it will happen in some form or shape. I don't care if it will be called beyond budgeting or business agility or whatever. It's not important, but it will happen. And I'm convinced that in 15, 20 years from now, even earlier, maybe earlier, uh, 10, 15 maybe, when we look back at what was mainstream management in 2022, I think we will smile, even have a laugh, just like we today smile about the days before the internet. And how long is that? Right? And I, I tell executives that, I mean, your organization have a choice. You can choose to be an, an early mover, embrace this and get competitive advantage, or you can choose to be dragged into this as one of the last ones. And the longer you wait, the more competitors will be ahead of you. Um, but it's your choice. Individuals and organizations also have a choice. Uh, finance people, executives. I mean, you can be remembered as the one who embraced, supported this and, and uh, made it happen. Or you can be remembered for the opposite if you uh, rejected it. Or you can be forgotten if you don't take a stand. Whatever choice organizations and and, and, and people uh, make, uh, I wish them all the best, but I know what I would have uh, chosen. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bjarte, for sharing your insights and, um, and for being on the show. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. If you did... Be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.